The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to the Disability Law Show. We are back once again. Good to have you with us. You want to reach out, I'll give you that right away. The information, toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. If you go to the website, disabilityrights.ca, you'll catch links to our long-running TV show, and we always refer to and pull wonderful questions from you from the website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Searchable database, by the way. You can search for your question if someone else has asked a similar one. If not, leave it there. And Savannah and the team will get to it uh, right here, Sanfiru Tumarkin LLP. That is the name of the firm. That is where Savannah is uh, coming from. Tumarkin would be his name, the most positively reviewed employment law and disability law firm in Canada. That's a hell of a reputation across this country. Now, you can look that up anytime, by the way. So, uh, good morning, pal, or good afternoon, good evening. I don't even know what day it is anymore. How are you? What's going on? <laughs> I'm very good. And, John, I know that the days are blurring. Uh, they've been blurring for a long time. Um, you know, with COVID upon us, again, I want to remind all our listeners that, uh, you know, we help people across Ontario, across British Columbia, and now across Alberta with their employment matters. Um, if they've been let go from their jobs, uh, and if they need help with that, uh, or if they're facing issues with their long-term disability insurance companies. And you know, John, more and more I'm reading in the papers about this tsunami of psychological disabilities that are upon us, right? People are just tremendously stressed. There is PTSD from, from COVID and from the isolation. And all of these things are rising up and they're bubbling to the surface. And more and more people are approaching us, telling us, look, we can't work. We have a doctor, a psychologist, whoever it is that's treating me, that's saying, I can't work at this point. And yet the insurance company, when I applied for short-term or long-term disability, I've been denied. What can I do? And this is what we do here. We're lawyers. We're lawyers. We're paralegals. We have a full, robust team across these three provinces, and we help people. So again, if you're listening to this show, a lot of good information. It's all free information. And I urge people, go to our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Um, you can post a question. You'll get an answer for free within minutes from me or a member of my team. And of course, you can just reach out to us. Our goal is to give people information. So, John, let me, let me start off with an email that I received just this past week from a lady. I'm not going to give her name just for confidentiality reasons. Yep. But here's what she writes. She says, she writes, hello, Sivan. I have just uh, a, a quick question for you. I'm currently on LTD, and I'm a, a, sorry, a, and a district manager from my employer left me a voicemail. She was asking me to call her back as she wants to update me on some information. I'm a little suspicious of this phone call. Any advice of how to proceed would be appreciated. Mm. So this is something that's really key here, and I, I want to zoom in on this question because here you see directly the two areas of law that we deal with and how that translates into people having this stress, not only with their insurance company. In this case, she's on LTD, so she's getting payments, but at the same time, she's worried about her job. You know, the district manager is about to give her a call. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to expect. It's a very legitimate concern. Not everybody has the best relationship with their employers, John, you know, and, and it's something that we see, especially when that relationship uh, relationship gets really, really tense when the person is off on disability because oftentimes employers don't understand, for example, that they got to be careful. You can't let, for example, someone who's on disability let go from their job. You can't let them go. That's a human rights violation. 
But it's not as simple as saying that if you let go from your job, you're entitled to severance. There could potentially be even human rights damages that you're entitled to. So when I told this lady here, I said, look, I don't know what your district manager wants to speak with you about, presumably just to get some updated information, perhaps asks you, uh, uh, perhaps ask you, you know, how you're doing, you know, do you have any plans of coming back in the near future? Maybe they want to talk about, you know, the, the potential role that she has, you know, are they going to bring her back in a different role? I don't know. But here's the advice that I gave her. I said, look, I said, whatever conversation you have, uh, confirm that by email after the end of the conversation to your district manager or to your direct supervisor that you've had this conversation. You want to make sure that you keep contemporaneous notes. And one of the ways to do that with your employer and with your insurance company is after you have a telephone conversation, just email the individual you've spoken with, uh, you know, just a rundown of what the conversation was like. And again, that that is a contemporaneous record. So if the district manager here, for example, threatens this lady, or if the district manager says something inappropriate, you know, the individual can record that. And, and, and down the road, if we have to act legally, if the employer you know, does something they're not supposed to, like let this person go or pressures them uh, to quit or, or whatever the issue is, at least there is a contemporaneous record. And you don't really care if the recipient of the, the email writes back or confirms receipt. It doesn't really matter. As long as you have sent that email and you have a record that that email was, was sent. Now, if you can do a um, uh, confirmed receipt, uh, you know, there's a function there where when you send an email, you can actually have somebody click that they've confirmed that they've received your email. That's right. even better, right? Because then there's confirmation the person actually received it. But what I told her, I said, listen, don't don't, don't be concerned about this. It, it could be a very, very innocent uh, uh, follow-up by the district manager to see how you're doing. But whatever the issue is, feel free to come back to me if in fact there is a problem, if you're concerned, and I tell this to everyone, it's not just me, by the way, Lior says the same thing, other lawyers in our firm, we often answer people's questions, again, at no charge for free, just to make sure that people have the information they need so they understand their rights. But again, John, the reason I'm bringing this up is because oftentimes, and as we're going to talk about on the show, there is that interplay between employment rights and insurance yep. rights that individuals have. And those two areas of law they often intersect and they affect each other. And you have situations where people who are having issues with their employer and with their insurer, you know, th they don't understand that it's ideal to get a firm or a lawyer that has an, an expertise in both areas of law. What they do is they'll go to someone who only does employment law or someone who only does insurance law, and then they go to someone else for the other type of law. And then what happens is that the left hand does not speak with the right hand. And that ends, you know, the, 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 the result is that you end up with less money in your pocket because, again, the two areas affect each other. The two types of law affect each other. So people need to understand this is what we do. That's one of the things that makes us very, very unique in the industry is that really we have expertise both in those two areas of law, employment law and disability law. We don't do real estate. We don't do family law. We can refer you to people who do those, but we don't do those. We focus on employment law and disability law. So if you or someone you know has questions, has issues with their insurance company or with being let go from a job or anything like that, give us a call. Contact us. We'll help you. Toll free, as always. And that's also where the uh, two firms and the two uh, areas of law also coincide is the phone number, one 821 5900 would be the way. Again, referring all show as we do every show to mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a wonderful resource for you to uh to ask your questions to get a lengthy answer, and then, of course, you can move on to a, a more discreet, personalized phone call at that point. But uh, what else we got going on today, pal? 
Well, let me move on to uh, a question that was posted, in fact, recently on uh, mydisabilityquestions.com. And this one comes from Nicole. And I'm mentioning the name here because the person actually posted it on a public forum. Uh, right. So she posted this um, January 19th. Uh, and, and here's what uh, Nicole wrote. She says, I'm on LTD since last February. They have been good, but they're now asking uh, for me to apply for CPP disability as the neurosurgeon plan is delayed due to COVID and needing more information, in bracket, tests. I understood from the show, she's referring to our show, John, um, yep. that one does not have to apply for CPP disability until the two-year mark, so I am really worried. I do not want to apply for CPP disability yet. So first of all, uh, we've never said on the show that at the two-year mark, that's when you apply for CPP disability. You can certainly no. apply before. The test for CPP disability, for you to receive it, you know, is essentially do you have a disability that is severe and prolonged? Okay, so it's a dual test. Those are the two criteria. Is your disability severe and prolonged, and can you not work because of that? And if your doctors confirm that, in fact, you meet the criteria for both of these uh, um, uh, tests, well, then you should be getting CPP disability. Of course, as to whether or not you get it or not, that's a different story. There's someone at the government who makes that decision. But you don't have to wait until the two-year mark. And what I would tell Nicole here, and this is what I posted, is that there is no harm in applying for CPP disability. I mean, typically, you don't want to do it off the bat because, again, it's difficult to say that your disability is prolonged if you've only had it for a day, right, as opposed to a year, year and a half, two years, whatever. Uh, so, so, you know, th there is, however, and again, I keep stressing this because people often email me with concerns about having to apply for CPP disability, I say there, there are tremendous benefits to that. Yep. One of the benefits, obviously, is that when you get CPP disability, if you're approved, that means the government has recognized that your disability is severe and prolonged, which arguably is a tougher test to meet than just a test for total, for, for total disability, for LTD. And the reason why that's relevant is because oftentimes when you get CPP disability, you get approved, the insurance company is going to have a much tougher time down the road saying that your disability is not significant, right? It's going to be tougher for them to cut you off on the basis of, of, of you know, your disability not being sufficiently severe for you not to be able to work. The second uh, reason why I tell people to, uh, you know, to apply for CPP disability, as soon as they can, really, as, as soon as it makes sense, is because if you get CPP disability and the insurance company ends up cutting you off, well, guess what? While we're fighting your insurance company to force them to mm. pay you what you're owed, you're still getting money from that other income source, from CPP disability. Whereas if you did not apply and you were cut off by your LTD insurer, well, then at that point, there's no money coming in, right? So there is more of an urgency. So it gives you a financial lifeline to hold on to while we fight the insurance company. Uh, so, so, you know, th these are all very good reasons. There are other reasons as well. Uh, and again, I want to tell people, you know, the, the insurance company wants you to apply, obviously, because if, once you get approved, they get a credit for that amount. Yep. So you don't get CPP disability plus LTD, right? You, you still get the same amount or should be getting the same amount, but the LTD insurer gets uh, a, a benefit. But again, there are benefits to you as well. So no, the answer here to Nicole and to everyone else, you do not have to wait for the two-year mark in order to apply for CPP disability. You can do it earlier and you probably should do it earlier if you project your disability to be going on for a long time. We'll take that short break. Get right back to it. Uh, you want to contact, by the way, mydisabilityquestions.com. That is one resource we use constantly on this show. You can ask your questions there. Email is good. 
help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number anytime toll free savan member of his awesome team it's one 821 5900 disability law show right here global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. This is the Disability Law Show. Welcome back. Skulls and Savannah Mark and here the number toll free. Write it down. Keep it. You never know when you're going to want to use it or pass it off to a friend or a colleague or a family member. To get a hold of Savannah and his team, one 821 disabilityrights.ca, the website you can use. There you can view our 30-minute version of this show, our long-running TV show, The Disability Law Show, and MyDisabilityQuestions.com is yet another resource for you to ask questions confidentially. And uh, you can also search the database on MyDisabilityQuestions.com. There's a high probability with the amount of time that thing gets used every day and every week that your question may have been asked in the past and answered in depth. So have a look there first. If not, just type it in there, and Savant's team will get to it. Okay, moving on to the next one. What uh, What's up next, Paul? Well, let's go to another question that was just posted uh, on January 19th. Again, a lot of Good. questions came uh, this past week from Tammy in Halliburton, Ontario. And here's what Tammy writes. I'm a 51-year-old female. I've been employed by my employer for 18 years. I've struggled with chronic depression since I, w- I was a teen. In 2012, I finally sought medical help and was started on antidepressant cocktail, never 100% effective. Nevertheless, I tried to keep working. And be as strong as I could, but a few large changes to my job position caused a relapse that has left my depression and anxiety at the worst it's ever been. I went on LTD in 2018. I've been seen by LTD uh, by, by, by an insured medical examiner who has made all kinds of recommendations. I have done some of those recommendations, but my depression and anxiety is not improving and the continued therapy sessions are difficult to absorb due to a decline in my cognitive abilities. My question is, at what point can um, supposed treatment be actually causing more stress, anxiety, depression, and most of all, fear of being cut off if I don't comply? Is there anything I can do? And then she also writes, uh, is there severance through my employer or a payout by my insurance company that I can get? My doctor does not feel that I am capable to return to any job, but my LTD company is trying to override his medical opinion. Please help. So here we have a fairly big situation here, a a fairly difficult situation for this 51-year-old lady. Um, You know, really, really tough. And and here's the thing, John, just as a a few comments before we just delve into this, has been employed for 18 years. Okay, so we're not dealing with a couch potato. We're not dealing with someone who is flaky. We're not dealing with anyone who is who is not trying to do their best. She simply has chronic depression since a long, long time ago. And there are many people who are struggling with pre-existing issues that have been really ongoing and haunting them for many, many years. And especially now during COVID, you know, I mean, she became disabled before COVID. But again, COVID has exacerbated a lot of people's conditions. And, and again, it's it's sort of things are bubbling to the surface. And people who were tittering on the edge, you know, have now been pushed off the edge and they don't know what to do. So uh, you have to understand that there is help out there, and and there are people that can help you, doctors, counselors, and, and when you're dealing with insurance companies, people like myself and my team can help you. 
We can answer your questions. We can tell you what options you have. And it's all about knowledge. Knowledge is power. So let's talk about Tammy's email here, okay? So the insurance company, the insurance examiner that examined her made several recommendations. Now, you know, John, you and I go pretty hard on, especially me, uh, on, on insurance doctors and examiners. And, and I, I have a lot of criticisms you know, towards them. But here's the thing. Over the years, and I've done this for a very long time, I have seen doctors hired by insurance companies who legitimately are trying to help these individuals. You know, it's one thing to really come down hard on insurance companies, but many of these doctors, as much as sometimes I hate what they do and the fact that they're hired guns for insurance companies, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes they make my clients' lives miserable, you know, during assessments, Sometimes and and quite frequently, actually, they do try to rec- you know to recommend some treatments that may be helpful. Now, in this case, Tammy has tried some of these treatments, but some of these treatments that have been provided or or um, recommended are actually making her situation worse. worse. So, what do you do in that situation? Well, I'll tell you what you do. The one thing you do not do is just unilaterally say, "I'm not doing it," and that's it, and not communicating anything. What you should be doing, and I say this to each and every individual out there who's listening, is you should be following your own doctor's recommendations. And so when you are dealing with recommendations from an insurance doctor or insurance medical examiner, and and that person is making recommendations, take those recommendations, get a copy of that report from the insurance company, from the adjuster, give it to your doctors, see what your doctors think about it. I always say to people, it's a safe bet to trust your own doctors. Okay. I mean, again, it's not a guaranteed solution, but trust your own doctors. Maybe the medical examiner from the insurance company has thought about something new that your own doctors have not thought about. So bring this to your doctor's attention, the doctors that have been treating you for weeks, months, and years, okay? and see what they have to say about that. And if you're having difficulty with certain sessions, if you're having difficulties with certain medications, there is nothing, zero obligation that you have to do something that harms your health. I think that what's necessary in that situation is for you to speak with your doctors or doctor, uh, whether it's a family doctor or a psychologist or whoever it is you're getting treatments from, and get from them alternatives. Make sure that it's recorded that it's not that you're saying no to these treatments, to these therapies, to these drugs, whatever they're giving you. It's that you are explaining that these are making your condition worse and that you're seeking alternative treatments. And, and, you know, work with your doctors to get these alternatives. And there are always, you know, alternatives. That's, I've never seen a situation where a doctor says there's literally nothing that we can do for your situation. There's always something they can do. And as long as you are seeking treatments, maybe not the primary ones that the medical examiner has recommended, but maybe other ones that your own doctors are recommending, as long as you're trying to get better then you have fulfilled your obligation under the law to mitigate, to try and get better. Because that's really where the obligation is. The law assumes that people will try to get better. Just like if you lose a job, the law assumes you will try to get another job, right? You can't just sit at home saying, pay me. It's just, it's not the way it's supposed to work. And certainly I tell people, if you have an illness or an injury, and all you do is complain about it and not, not get any treatments, again, finances aside, because some treatments are expensive, some of them are not covered by OHIP or you know other medical plans, uh, but if you are legitimately trying to get better and working with your doctors, your insurance company will not be able to cut you off for failing to comply with treatment recommendations. So that's really important. 
Now, in terms of severance from the employer or a payout by the insurance company, Tammy's asking about that. Look, the insurance company, if they let you go while you're disabled, we've talked about this before, that's illegal. Not only are they uh, exposed to, to severance that they have to pay you, but potentially to human rights damages. And again, that's really important that we deal with that uh, at our firm because we understand the impact that those amounts owed to you that they're going to have on your LTD entitlements. If you don't take that into account, you may end up being very happy at the severance you're getting, only to be very unhappy when you find out that the insurance company finds out about it and then says, oh, guess what? You got 30000 in severance? That's $30,000 that we get a credit for. So we're not going to pay you now, LTD, Yeah, for the next $30,000 worth of payments. So again, there's ways to deal with this. Now, uh, the, last, the last issue here, and, and I really want to zoom in on this, Tammy writes, my doctor does not feel that I'm capable of returning to any job, any occupation, by my LTD companies trying to override his medical opinion. Again, we see this time and time again, John, where people call us, email us, post questions on the website and say, my insurance company is pressuring me to work. My doctor says I am not ready yet. I know I am not ready yet. I'm hoping I'll be ready in six months, a year, two years, five years, whenever, but I'm not ready now. And the insurance company is not listening to my doctors. Let me be unequivocal about this. You follow your doctor's opinions and recommendations. And if it's against medical advice to go back to work at the present time, you communicate that to the adjuster in writing. You get a letter from your doctor explaining exactly why it is that you are now ready to go back to work and why your doctor is agreeing with you and provide that to the adjuster. And if the adjuster, if the insurance company thinks that they can simply steamroll over what your doctors are saying, they have another thing coming. I can tell you, John, there's been many, many cases where we've gotten involved after a person was cut off LTD, despite the fact that the doctors have said this person cannot go back to work at the present time because of X, Y, and Z. And when we got involved and started the legal process, and internally within the insurance company, the claim shifted to another department, to another adjuster that deals with, with, with claims, with legal claims, they reversed course so fast, it would spin your head. Right, because they understand that if this ever came before a judge, and on the one hand you have doctors who are treating this person in good faith and are saying it's against medical advice to go back to work at, at this point, and on the other hand you have adjusters who have no medical expertise, and even if they're backed up, by the way, by you know medical examiners that have opinions from the insurance company, but these individuals who have never seen this person, they've just reviewed their file, for example, I'm telling you, insurance companies understand that if this ever gets before a judge, they could get hammered. But they play the odds that most people will walk away from their rights, that when they cut you off, you're going to start going through the appeal process, which is a useless process. Right? It's a merry-go-round. Uh, and, and they understand that many people will not stand up for their rights and that they think they can bully many people out there. And I'm here to tell you, don't let them bully you. You have to stand up for your rights. Don't let the insurance company do whatever they want. They can't. They're not above the law. They can't do whatever they want. And that's what we do. And by the way, when I tell you, when a member of my team tells you, when we talk to you on the phone and we tell you, we've reviewed the documents you gave us, you have a case, the insurance company is wrong, take that to the bank. Okay? We're telling you this. And one of the reasons why you should believe us is because how do we get paid? We get paid only if, at the end of the day, we're able to force the insurance company to pay you. So you're not paying anything up front. So again, you know, our interests from that standpoint are aligned. Right? So, and sometimes people come to us and we tell them, sorry, you know, the insurance company is correct. 
it does happen. It does happen that the insurance company is right. Uh, but, but again, it costs nothing for you to chat with us about this. You don't want to talk by phone. We can do this by email, text. It doesn't really matter as long as we can get you the information you need so that you understand what your legal options are. Knowledge is power. And the insurance companies out there are afraid of people having this knowledge because then they understand. It's like the matrix, right? You see the real world. You understand that the insurance companies don't actually have all that power that they think that they do, that, that you think that they do. Let's take a uh, short break because I know we've got lots more to go here. So let's uh, use some extra time just to get in and out of a break quickly. You want to reach out to Savan, by the way, it's simple. Uh, Toll-free 1-855-821-5900, the number we keep sending out there. And what we've used so far is a website called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Really easy uh, to, to locate that and use that website as well. You can ask your questions there. Email always works. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. Lots more to go. And uh, stick around for it after a short break. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. Uh, good to have you. You're still with us here. You want to reach out toll free to Savannah and his, uh, his team, no problem. 1 855 821 5900 and mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll uh, try to get to some emails before the end of the show. That would be help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, let's keep it going. We've still got time. We do. So let's go again to a question that was posted on MyDisabilityQuestions.com. This one came from Chris in Smith Falls. So here's what he writes. He says, uh, I've signed a document that I was told to sign when I started my LTD. The sheet I signed states that I'm covered until June 2021. However, I'm getting calls every few months telling me that I'm covered until many different dates. Recently, they told me until March of 2021. Should I be concerned? If so, what should I do? Thanks. So, Chris, I have no idea what documents you've signed. Let, let, let me just make sure that people are on the same page here. When you apply for short-term or long-term disability, you're applying for benefits because you can't work as a result of an illness or an injury or a mix of two. And you know you don't have to sign anything that says, I'm getting benefits up to a certain date. The reality is that uh, your relationship with the insurance company, assuming that your benefits are through an insurance company, not through your employer, are dictated by the policy of insurance. So if it's LTD, there, there is an LTD policy out there. That is the contract between you and the insurance company, even if it's, if it's through a group benefits plan, through work. Okay, That's the policy. That's the contract. That contract provides for certain benefits that you're entitled to if you meet certain criteria. Okay, so if you satisfy the criteria of being disabled from working, again, depending on the policy you have, well, then the insurance company must then pay you LTD as per the terms of the policy. And typically, in the majority of LTD policies, for the first two years for to be on LTD, to get LTD payments, you have to demonstrate through your medical professionals, with their opinions, with their letters and reports, that you cannot do the essential tasks of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the test is, uh, you know, can you do the essential tasks of any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? Yep. Now, the fact that Chris here is being told, you know, uh, we'll approve you until this date or until this date or until this date. Look, at the end of the day, the insurance company has an obligation, actually. 
it's not just that you know they do this willy-nilly. They have an obligation to continue assessing whether or not you qualify to receive LTD. That assessment is continuous. And that's why, depending on your injury or your illness, uh, the insurance company oftentimes makes this assessment along the way uh, you know, as you go through the policy period. So some people are asked to provide ongoing documentation and proof that they're disabled uh, every couple of months. Some people maybe have a very serious injury or an illness. You may not be asked for an update for six months, a year, sometimes even longer than that. So it really depends on the facts of each case. The one thing that you need to understand, Chris, and everyone out there that's on disability, is that the insurance company is entitled to these updates. Now, they have to be reasonable, right? I mean, if I'm suffering from cancer and I'm going through terrible, terrible treatments, you know, it's understood that I can't work at this point. For the insurance company to ask me for a medical update every single week, I think, is unreasonable. But it's not unreasonable to ask for an update every few months, for example, from the oncologist or whoever's treating me. So it's really important to understand that the insurance company is entitled to these updates and they they may very well you know alter their opinion as to when your benefits should end. Now I'm not saying you accept their opinion. What I'm saying is you need to understand that you know for them to tell you that you know we're going to approve you until June of 2021 and then change that opinion and say no we actually think you're better now based on, based on the documents that your doctor is giving us you know we think that you are going to be able to go back to work in February as opposed to June they're entitled to make that assessment if the medical documents speak to that if in fact that's supported by the medical evidence right so insurance companies can do that. The, the issue that arises often is not this back and forth when insurance companies change their opinions as to when your benefits will end. Is that more often than not, when people contact me, uh, it appears that the insurance company is prematurely ending those benefits. Right? People call me because they say, look, the insurance company said they're going to pay me for one more month or three more months or six more months. But the reality is there's no way I'm able to go back to work you know, within the next three to six months. It's just my doctors agree. You know, I'm going to need at least one more year of therapy or two years or whatever it is. That's when we jump into action because if the insurance company has given you a date by when they will cut off your benefits, when your benefits will end, again, you can take that to the bank. They put that in their system. It means that on that date, your benefits will end. And if you spend your time between now and the point, the end point, when the benefits end, trying to appease them, trying to convince them and to persuade them and to beg them not to cut you off, you're in for a world of pain because they will not be moved. They will not be moved. They, they've set that cutoff date because they want you off their plan. They don't want to pay you. So what I tell people is as soon as you are told that your benefits will end on a certain date and you believe you are still disabled and you will be continue to be disabled beyond that date and your doctors agree you have to call me. You have to get in touch with me so I can tell you what to do. In many instances, John, when people actually let me know ASAP, right, three months, six months, nine months in advance before they're cut off, we can often get involved and, and speak with the insurance company. We communicate with the insurance company and force them either to not end those benefits or to come to the table and, and negotiate some kind of a, of a lump sum settlement, you know, with our client. Of course, our clients are the ones who agree at the end of the day if to if to settle or not, or or you know, like our clients are the ones dictating the result. But once we get involved, we understand the process, we understand the pressure points, how to leverage against the insurance company the, their weaknesses, 
you know, you want someone in your corner to allow you to do that because if it's just you and the insurance company, there is a huge power imbalance. There is a huge knowledge imbalance. When we come into the picture, that whole changes. That changes. You know, James Fireman, my, uh, uh, one of my partners, uh, you know, recently, not recently, actually, a few years back, you know, when we were talking about this, I, I, I would tell him, I said, you know, I said, one of the things I'm proud of is when we entered the picture, on behalf of, of, of an injured or an ill individual who's facing this insurance company, you know, we, we, we even the playing field. You know, it's no longer this yeah. huge insurance company against this, this, this little guy here. And, and James looked at me and he said something that I, I would never forget and I, I just absolutely love. He says, no. He says, we don't even the playing field. We tilt it in the individual's favor. Yep. And that's just the reality. And how do I know that's the reality? Because we force insurance companies to pay. It's that simple. It's that simple. Our success rate is is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And John, you started the show by saying that we're the most positively reviewed law firm for employment right. and disability work in the country. People should go on Google and actually check us out and actually take a look at some of the reviews that we have. We are so, so proud of the quality of service that we provide people. This is This is key. It's not about the money. It's not about the size. It's not about it. It's about quality and it's about being there for people. People who have been let go from their jobs and people who are fighting with their insurance companies for justice. Look, you want to have a conversation with uh, Savannah or James, as mentioned, tomorrow, any of the uh, great members of his team. Here's how you do it till free. I'll give you that before we break. one 821 5900 website disabilityrights.ca email help at disabilityrights.ca and the website we've used all morning long that is mydisabilityquestions.com lots more is on the way we'll take a short break get right back to it disability law show on global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Savannah Tamarkin is here, of course, and Skulls with you. You want to reach out to Savannah's team, 1 855 821 5900, and disabilityrights.ca is the website. You can catch links to our long running TV show there as well. And you can always go to mydisabilityquestions.com. I know you want to get to another one from that website, maybe an email. But you did mention something near the end of the last segment, Savannah, about uh, you know continued payment or a lump sum. How do you determine or how does someone who's getting this payment determine which is better? You know, that's an excellent question. So, And, I, you know, I actually want to delve into it a bit. People come to me and they say, okay, I've been cut off or I've been denied long-term disability. What am I looking at in terms of, of the value of my claim? How can this claim, you know, be resolved? And I tell them that really there are three uh, ways. Uh, one way is the most common way, and then there is a less common way, and then there is a rare way. The most common way is that when we start the legal process, we end up at a, um, a settlement meeting. It's usually, it's usually a mediation where uh, it's me, it's my client, it's the insurance adjuster, not the one that cut the person off or denied them, but someone who deals with legal claims, somebody experienced from the insurance company, the insurance company's defense lawyer, and a mediator, a neutral third party who has knowledge of LTD and is there to broker an agreement. And, you know, I tell my clients, you don't have to say anything at the mediation. Let me do all the talking because by that point, I know that the clients file inside out. I know all the medical doctors. I know all the medical reports. I've seen the entire 
insurance file so I know all their weaknesses. And at that point, we negotiate uh, a, a or try to negotiate a resolution with the insurance company. The value of the case is so determined. It, it, it depends on so many factors. I can't just give you a formula. It doesn't work that way. You know, when people come to me and say, how much is my claim worth? I tell them, you know, that's as general a question as, you know, how much does a car cost? <laughs> what kind of car are we talking about? Right, totally. Talking about a Pontiac, a Ferrari, like what are we talking about? So there's so many factors that go into it, which is why, again, you want someone who's an expert in this area, you know, in, in this area of law. So, so lump sum settlement is the most common way to resolve a claim. And that's when you agree that the insurance company will pay you X amount of dollars in exchange for, for you agreeing to just release them from any further obligation into the future for your LTD. That's the most common way to resolve it for two reasons. Number one, uh, it's the cleanest way, right? You're cutting sure. the umbilical cord between the two parties, my client and the insurance company. And, and secondly, uh, you know, <laughs> my client does not want to deal with the insurance company anymore after all the headaches they've put them through and, and all the heartache. And the insurance company doesn't want to pay anything anymore beyond what they're going to pay you now. So again, it's the most common way. Probably happens in about 90, 95% of the cases that we deal with. The second way, um, less common, but does happen, usually with more and more uh, severe types of illnesses and, and certainly when you know it's very apparent that the person is disabled for life and the insurance company really screwed up here um, in, in cutting the person off or denying them, that's a reinstatement. It's when the insurance company says, okay, you know what? We're going to agree to pay your client what they were owed since the time we denied their claim initially or when we cut them off benefits and until the present date and now we're going to continue paying them monthly the way we ought to have done um, before. So that's called a reinstatement. Uh, but at, at that point obviously the negative is that you now have an ongoing relationship with your insurance company. You know, right, right. We made sure to get the insurance company to reverse course and now we exit the scene and now they're going to continue paying you. If there's a problem you come back to us and we'll help you. But that's a reinstatement. That's rare. What is really rare, and I'm saying like really with like five underlines and a highlighter, is for this kind of a case to go to court. It's not like what you see on TV. Forget about suits. Forget about all those legal shows. It is very rare for these cases to go to court. And it's very rare for two very simple reasons. Number one, insurance companies understand that if you go to court, and they lose, they're going to have to pay a ton of money, not just to you for the claim that they should have paid in the first place, but to your lawyers and to their lawyers. They hate paying money like that. They hate it. They absolutely abhor it. That's why they try and get a settlement. So, so that's that's one reason. The second reason uh, is very simply that it's just unpredictable. You know, no one knows what's going to happen in court. No one knows. No one knows. And frankly, I even tell my clients, I said, look, I'm all for going all the way you know, to, to, to a trial, but the reality is there is an uncertainty. Who knows what the judge is going to sure. say or gonna, judge is going to do? But And that's why it's very rare. That's why when I tell people you have a case, in 99% of the time, of course, there's never 100%, just like in medicine, but in 99%, if we tell you have a case, we're going to get money for you, okay? And, and if we've made some mistake along the way, well, guess what? We're not getting paid either. So... Those are the three ways to to sort of have these claims resolved. Uh, but you know, more more often than not, these claims get settled 
usually within a few months of, of us getting involved, um, we, we hardly ever see a case that we take on that lasts longer than a year. Sometimes, and this happened just before the new year, John, uh, where we, uh, we got involved and literally uh, with one letter, with one letter from our office, from our lawyers, insurance companies reversed course. And, you know, claims that they had denied years ago, they said, oh, we made a mistake. We should not have done that. We want to reinstate your client. Well, they paid a bit more than just what the reinstatement was because, you know, we had to get involved. But we're very happy for our clients. You know, there was no long process here. And that's what I want to tell people. This is not a difficult process. Uh, This is actually quite common. We do this kind of work all the time. These claims are not difficult for us to resolve in many in the majority of instances. I mean, it's very, very difficult for an individual to deal with because it's their life, right? It's their financial lifeline. It, it, it's, it's, they feel like they're being bullied and harassed by the insurance company. Our job is to take that off your shoulders, to let you focus on healing, on getting better, uh, and frankly, for the family too. You know, remember, John, when we get involved, communications between the insurance company and the individual stop. They have to now go through us. We are the ones dealing with the insurance company, not the person, uh, who, you know, who's disabled. So that's absolutely key. Hopefully that answers your question. A bit long-winded, but hopefully that gives no, you and fantastic. other people context. You bet. Let, let me just, uh, last few minutes, just want to mention one more thing. So we had this okay. lady contact us. She's actually from Alberta. She is on long-term disability. She's 60, 62 years old. She's turning 63. She's off work because of severe back and hip issues. Uh, and, and, you know, what? what is ironic here is that, you know, her own job, for, for many, many years was actually caring for people with disabilities, you know, with Down syndrome, with, with the whole slew of disabilities. So she's a, she's a good person, extremely hard worker, but because of, you know, I guess the illnesses that she's going through with her back and, and her hip, she's unable to do her job, her occupation. And she contacted me because she said that she's being harassed by the insurance company who's continuously requesting new doctor's information. Every two, three months, are asking for more documentation. And we just talked about that in the last segment, right? Insurance companies are entitled to get reports and updates. Yep. But here's the problem. She says that when COVID hit and the doctor's offices were closed, um, they th- the insurance company threatened to cut her off if she could not get updates. And she's worried that this will happen again and again and again, and they'll use that as an excuse to cut her off because she can't get in to see the doctor. And it's causing her tremendous amount of stress and anxiety. And this is not the first time I've heard this, John. And so here's what I'm telling people. Your obligation, obviously, is to provide these updates to the insurance company. There is only so much you can do. You have to show that you have taken every reasonable step to try and get those updates. And if that means going in person or calling or emailing your doctor's office and showing that proof to the insurance company and telling them, look, I am trying. I will get you this as much as I can, as far as, you know, as soon as I can, but I'm limited with what I'm able to do because my doctors are, are obviously, you know, uh, under stress themselves because of COVID. To me, that's sufficient. And if I see an insurance company saying, no, despite all this, we're going to cut you off on a technicality because of COVID, we can't see your doctor's notes for the last two months. So therefore, we're going to cut you off. Man, if that happens to you, come to me right now. Trust me when I tell you, we're going to get the insurance company to back off because they cannot do that. Done for another week. Fantastic stuff there. Uh, Reaching out, as mentioned several times. Here you go. One more time before we go. 1-855-821-5555. 
5900 mydisabilityquestions.com where we got those questions and the website disabilityrights.ca to find the TV show and then finally the email address and that is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll catch you next time. This is a Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.